This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back in for the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. You'll hear from my colleague and Lions 24-7 teammate, Daniel Gallon. In just a moment, we're going to set the stage for what awaits on Saturday afternoon uh, down in Auburn as Penn State hits the road for the first time to go to SEC territory since 2010 when they went down to Tuscaloosa, lost to Alabama, looking to complete a home-and-home series sweep in this case against Auburn. Of course, a 28-20 victory for Penn State in this matchup last year in Beaver Stadium. It was the whiteout setting. They've got an orange out uh, situation emerging down at Auburn. So they'll do their best to disrupt things. We'll talk a little bit about the steps that Penn State is taking to counter that collision with an SEC road environment. Uh, But we've got some personnel stuff to get into. Auburn players to watch. Uh, Our third episode of the week, which will always come out on Thursday, we'll actually have an Auburn beat reporter to break down the Tigers from a, a close perspective. We'll give our final thoughts and previews and predictions on this matchup and then come to you on Saturday night with our post-game podcast. But here on Tuesdays, we're fresh out of the press uh, press conference with James Franklin on a weekly basis. We've got about four or five player calls under our belt since this morning. So we've got a lot to work with, and let's bring Daniel Gallon back on board to do that. First off, Daniel, you put together your game rewind on Penn State versus Ohio. That dropped on Monday evening. I think that's kind of the range that that story and, and, and piece is going to come out on a weekly basis. I've enjoyed it through the first couple of weeks. I think we covered a lot of ground with the Ohio matchup on our last episode and, of course, with our post-game podcast on Saturday. But I want to make the people aware of that. Um, but let's turn our, our focus forward because you and I just sat in front of James Franklin for about a half hour or so, and then we were on these Zoom calls with a bunch of different Penn State players. And I think it's just a different vibe right now. All due respect to Ohio and the home opener and, and that situation, when you're getting ready to go on the road, play an SEC opponent for the first time in 12 years, these players understand what's at stake. James Franklin sees it. And Auburn may not be a world beater right now, but they are quite the brand in Penn State pushing a 3-0 on the road could go a long way in national perception. James Franklin kind of tipped his hand a little bit when he talked about the preparation for this game began last week uh, in terms of blasting the music, uh, practice, working on that silent count. Obviously, everything you hear publicly from Franklin, from the team is want to know, want to know, want to know. But at the same time, they're aware of the situation James Franklin said that they've been working on this uh, also uh, during the offseason in terms of getting that silent count, getting ready for this environment. So this is a game that Penn State has obviously had circled on its calendar. Purdue was a tough environment. It was crowded, blackout. Couldn't quite get a gauge on the volume of the crowd in that press box. It was pretty well soundproofed. But by all accounts, Jordan Hare Stadium, orange out. Uh, in the heat, 2.30 p.m. Central Time, it's going to be something a little bit different than what Penn State has seen before. So they've been doing their best to get ready. 
And by the way, for those of you listening who may be getting ready to make the trip down to Auburn for this one, I know there's a pretty good travel uh, contingent for Penn State, it seems. Um, on our board right now at lines247.com for subscribers, we've got a, a joint thread going on between the Auburn community at 24-7 Sports and the Penn State community. Pretty good stuff. A little bit of trash talking, but a lot of helpful things, I think, for people making the trip down for this one. Wanted to mention that. And something that Franklin mentioned was that they did last week, kind of threw the players for a loop, they, they intensified the volume of the music on the practice field. They were doing the silent count, and yet they're getting ready for a home matchup against the MAC team, and it was all trying to get advanced preparation for this trip to Auburn. And Sean Clifford speaking today said, it is a bit awkward for the first day or two when you're trying to, to get a feel for that silent count, get everybody on the same page. But he says that eventually you get through that and you can start to flow again offensively. So notable that they took that the, those extra steps. Notable that James Franklin uh, mentioned that to us. Um, but I think they have that first game under their belt, and that's going to go a long way, in my opinion, Daniel. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley today, the wide receiver, explaining that they know what it's like to play in front of a group of people who don't want you to succeed. And that's exactly what they're going to get at Auburn. Meanwhile, you know, what have the Tigers encountered this year? What kind of battle-tested nature? They had a dicey game last week. That could maybe galvanize a team a bit when you come out the other side of that. But they have been underwhelming. They failed to cover the point spread in their opener against Mercer, yet again against San Jose State, where they won by one possession last Saturday. They've been at home for those two matchups. Auburn is home for their first five games this year, Daniel. So my question is, in a battle of wills, and a battle of kind of mindset, it's hard for me not to lean toward the Nittany Lions right now. I think that's where I am at right now, too. You look at what Auburn has kind of gone through uh, in the past couple of months with Brian Harson's job status being up in the air, some of the upheaval in the administration, those types of things. It's hard to tell how much that actually trickles down uh, to the players in the locker room. But at the same time, players know what's going on as well as anyone. Um, I think that a lot of times the co a coach will try to be uh, a figurehead, just speaking in general, but and try to control the message. But the, the players always know what's going on. The players, uh, the players have a better pulse, I think, of what it's like than than anyone else. So it is kind of interesting to see them come out, you know, pretty flat this year. Um, could Penn State coming into town a revenge spot after the whiteout win last year? Could this be something that could light a fire, give Auburn a boost? Uh, be the type of game that that really gets them up national television um, we'll see but you know I need to dive in a little bit more I think I got to file my prediction tomorrow morning uh, so I got a little bit more thinking to do but I think at this point given what we've seen so far from both teams and with, with what we've been hearing um, I think it's hard to go against Penn State right now Penn State, uh, as of last check, according to the Caesars Sportsbook, is a three-point favorite on the road in this matchup. The over-under uh, for total points right at 49. Uh, again, that's as of last check. That may have changed. Uh, that movement does occur over the course of these game weeks. But, Daniel, I think when you look at Auburn and, and, and where they are, we got to remind people that they had a down downfall last year, a, a spiral of sorts, because we've covered it pretty extensively about what happened for Penn State after the 5-0 start, finishing 7-6. and six. 
Auburn was four and one that same weekend that Penn State went out to, to play Iowa. Auburn was four and one. I think they played Georgia that week and they got walloped and they ended up finishing six and seven on the season. Uh, and and now their, their head coach is just back over five hundred on his career at Auburn because of these two and zero start. But man, it, it feels like it, Auburn that that's a very hollow two and zero. Whereas Penn State, you got some style points last week. You got to really explore the roster a little bit. I think that's going to benefit them starting this week, but also long term. And then because of what they dealt with in, against Purdue and having to, to fight their way back and, and riding that momentum swing and ending up getting back on that plane at 1-0, to me, there's just a lot working in Penn State's favor. But that's why they play the game, right? And, and, and this is going to be a situation where if the Tigers aren't motivated to make a statement, then, yeah, it, it, you're going to start to see the writing on the wall for the people who really are around that program when it comes to the coaching situation. So there might be a lot at stake for Auburn in this matchup, and I feel like plenty of Penn State fans, at least going into the season, said, hey, as long as you can split those two September road games and, and come out of September with one loss going into Big Ten play, that's a pretty good spot. People are going to get greedy, though. No one wants to hear about that or talk about it right now. They took care of business on again Purdue, and if they can do it again against Auburn, get to that 3-0 mark, We'll see what they can do against another MAC opponent next Saturday. But this is exactly the kind of stepping stone September that James Franklin would have laid out in his ideal scenario. It's easy to be the pragmatic fan in August or July or August and say, <laughs> all right, if they if they take two two out of three, two of those first three, I'm feeling good. If they're if they're four and one going going into that Northwestern game, we're in good shape. But when it actually comes down to it, when it actually you know, you're watching Penn State play Purdue, you're watching Penn State Auburn, all of that logic kind of goes out the window. Um, and I think that given what we've seen from Penn State these first two weeks, given what we've seen Auburn uh, these first two weeks, it's easy to get greedy, like you said. And I don't blame fans uh, if they think that Penn State should go in there, handle their business um, in a hostile environment. We, you know, we, we've seen them play play well on the road in hostile environments before it's Sean Clifford kind of said that this is, this is really nothing new um, in terms of some of the buildings that they've played in, in the past um, James Franklin tried to prepare them for the the heat and the humidity uh, closing the doors at Haluba hall. Um, but, you know, I think that's a thing where it's, it's different. You can't really simulate it. You have to be out in it. It's the same with the noise. Um, there's a difference between, you know, tens of thousands of people screaming than just the the volume turned up to 11 and blowing out the speakers uh, on the practice field or, or in the bubble. But I think that when you look at where things are right now, Penn State's in it's in good shape. Um, but the conversation Saturday night, um, I wouldn't it wouldn't be a shock if it's much different than the one we're having right now, just based on how these games can go. You and I spent a significant amount of time the last couple episodes talking about the freshman quarterback on the roster. But the fact that they have Sean Clifford, 24 years old, 60 years senior, you know the stat line on this guy. Uh, but he's played at Ohio State twice. You know, he started on the road in Columbus a couple of times. He's played in the in the Cotton Bowl. This guy has been on the big stage. We've talked about the importance. He's been against Auburn in a whiteout situation. Um, and, and whereas I know a lot of people want to see number 15 more involved as things go on, and I, and I still wonder if that will be the case in this game, if we're going to see some uh, some series go to Drew Aller, you really can't overstate what it means to have Sean Clifford as the guy leading this team out of the tunnel. You've got those leaders on defense too, but from an offensive standpoint, what they're going to encounter early in the game. They'll have an opportunity to take Auburn's crowd out of this game with a couple offensive series. Some big plays can do that. But early in the game, it's going to be rocking down there. And to have Sean Clifford, I know this is a little bit, people are going to say, well, he threw that boneheaded pick six on the road at Auburn. 
but he also orchestrated three touchdown drives in a two-minute drill situation on the road at Purdue. So there's a little give and take with Sean Clifford. There always is. Uh, but I think you really have to point to his presence in this matchup as a reason that, that you feel like Penn State is going to be pretty stable in a situation where some other Big Ten schools might go down there and at least at the start of this thing get off to a shaky, uh, shaky beginning offensively. That's definitely going to be the key when you kind of look at how Penn State can establish itself, how it can get off to a good start so it can take the crowd out of it. We kind of all know what the, the book is on Sean Clifford, that he's an emotional guy. He's a fiery leader. Um, I think that sometimes that, that shows in his play early in games, kind of anecdotally, he's someone where you feel like he can come out a little bit hot sometimes, um, a little bit jacked up. Um, I think it'll be key for him to come in you know, control those emotions, channel it onto the field, get some, move the chains early, um, get in the end zone early. That always helps. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he comes out in the first two possessions, first three possessions, and what kind of shape Penn State is in um, when you get to, you know, four minutes left in the first quarter, 14 minutes left in the second quarter. Where is Sean Clifford? Where is Penn State? Um, and I think that that'll tell you a lot about where the game is going to go. We're going to jump into some conversation on Auburn players in a few minutes, but let's focus on what we heard today uh, regarding Penn State's personnel and, and where things go forward. Um, some clarity at the kicker spot, which is obviously come under some scrutiny. Jake Pinniger uh, missing a field goal attempt last week from 42 yards out also is no good on an extra point attempt. Uh, you had this stat, uh, and we talked about it in the post game. He's now in his career, year five with Penn State. 10 of 19 uh, from that 40 to 49 yard range. So James Franklin says that range is his though, moving forward, at least going into this week and uh, 52 and out per James Franklin is where we'll see Sanders Zahedak, who was the 24 seven sports number one overall picker prospect in the 2021 class. He redshirted last year as Jordan Stout. And to some extent, Jake Pinniger handled those place kicking duties. You've seen Zahedak involved in a rotation with Gabe Nuoso as a kickoff specialist. But it sounds like James Franklin is ready to trot him out there if they got to uh, try a long attempt. And, and he was also careful to note in a game-winning situation, which I'm also going to take to apply as an end-of-the-half kind of situation as well. doesn't sound like they're going to necessarily be content to uh, send him out uh, in middle of the second quarter to try a long field goal. I don't know if that means they're going to look for options to go for it in no man's land or they have a lot of faith in Barney and Moore to drop another one at the one-yard line. But it certainly sounded like the way James Franklin phrased it, it's more of an emergency kind of end of the end of the clock deal for Sanders Sahadak. And right now, everything else belongs to Jake Penninger, the fifth year senior. If any fans are expecting uh, Sanders Sahadak to be the first kicker out for, uh, you know, a 28 yarder uh, in the in the first quarter on Saturday, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But we saw it during pregame warmups on Saturday. Um, we saw Sahadak hitting from 55 uh, with plenty of leg. Um, Jake Pinniger was was kicking from about 52 and a half. I think that's the furthest kick we saw him take. Uh, plenty of leg, a little bit difficult to judge um, based on where we're sitting with the angle, um, how his accuracy was, but it, it seems pretty good. But the, the book on Sahadak has been that he has a big left leg. Um, the ball, you know, sounds different coming off of it. Um, you know, I think that this was kind of the the role that we that we kind of envisioned based on how things were split between Jake Pinniger and Jordan Stout in the past. Obviously that hasn't come to, to full fruition, but over the course of the year, I guess we'll have to watch to see if this line starts to creep in a little bit and gets extended beyond these kind of, uh, 
you know, I guess an alternative to a Hail Mary um, situations or, you know, just trying to get points um, at the end of the game or the end of the half. Last year, uh, there was actually a rhyme in place for, for how special teams coordinator Joe Lorig was handling the situation. I believe it was 42 and in, it's pin, 43 and out, it's stout. Now it seems like that that is uh, you know that that range is extended beyond. And I will say, yeah, the book on Sahedak is that big lake. We've reported on it coming out of these camps. He's looked good when we see him. I have no idea what this kid looks like when eleven college football players are lined up across from him. I have zero idea, much less a crowd, much less a pressure situation. So for, I know people aren't pleased with Jake Pinniger and they feel like they've got him figured out. But it's worth noting this Penn State staff is getting a long look at different circumstances and different situations. They're putting. Sanders Ahadak through the ringer, I imagine, to see where he is. And there's only so much you can do before you actually trot him out into a stadium, whether it's here or on the road. But let's just leave it at that with Sanders Ahadak. We really don't know how he's going to respond to his first opportunity. He can maybe kick the ball out of the stadium, but can he kick it through the uprights when it matters most? We just don't have a feel for that. Over uh, at wide receiver, we talked about this uh, on the postgame podcast. I think we talked about it Monday as well. Kind of a lot to shuffle through right now. Beyond the top three guys, the th- those three starters, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Parker Washington, and Mitchell Tinsley, and then you go down to number four, which is Harrison Wallace, consistently getting the most work beyond that starting lineup. It's really hard to ignore what Amari Evans has done. Getting on the field for that final drive at Purdue, catching that 32-yard touchdown from Drew Aller last week. And he's a guy that, that you, you ask around, and we did that today. It's not just the fact that he's got that speed. It's the fact that he is figuring out how to play wide receiver. And then the speed just goes to a different level because you just can't be as fast on the field when you're thinking. It sounds like according to Sean Clifford, Mitchell Tinsley, even James Franklin, that that process of thinking to motion is being trimmed and, and trimmed and trimmed. And so that leads you to believe that barring something that something changing here, he's destined to burn his red shirt this week, uh, this year, I should say. James Franklin did not say that, but He's two games in. I think he's checking off those boxes. And I'd imagine in the next 10 games, uh, again, barring some kind of unforeseen circumstances, Omari Evans seems like he's here to stay, at least uh, as some kind of rotational piece. He's fast and he's learning to play fast. And I think that's a a pretty dangerous conversation on the outside when you have that that speed that's in the 4-3 range and and you can do what Evans can can do. Uh, We saw it on the touchdown pass from Drew Aller against Ohio where he was open, ran away from the guy. Uh, Aller led him to led him away, so he was able to separate, haul that ball in, first touchdown. Um, made it look both of them made it look kind of easy. Um, but Omari Evans is definitely something to watch. Um, James Franklin said that there's still there's not really a, ro- a rotation yet um, when it comes to his top three wide receivers in uh, Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, and Keandre Lambert Smith. Um, when you look at the the Purdue game, because uh, that's kind of the most reliable uh, data that we have right now, um, Mitchell Tinsley only came out when he tapped out um, at the end of the game, and I think a little bit earlier. Um, you did see a little bit, I wouldn't necessarily call it a rotation, but you saw Harrison Wallace come in for Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, after some of those drops. And then when Parker Washington left the field, he was usually replaced by a tight end. Um, so it's still kind of, three guys that are getting the majority. Uh, Harrison Wallace has had a nice uptick and there were a lot of really good things said about him today as well. Um, And then Omari Evans seems to be in that fifth spot. Um, And then we saw a little bit of Jaden Dotton uh, for the first time against Ohio. It seems like he's in that backup slot spot um, based on what we saw 
against what's what we saw against Ohio and how things worked out um, in that Purdue game. But uh, I don't think we'll see too, too much of him uh, based on how the game goes. So I think we've got some clarity. Um, I think coming into the year, I, I mean, I had Evans down as a redshirt candidate. I don't know about you, but I was really, yeah, I was not expecting to see him. And then you look down at Purdue and it's the last play of the game and there's number 18 in there and and you kind of have to have to double take. Um, So it's been a, it's a testament, I think, to Taylor Stubblefield's coaching and also to Omari Evans for putting himself in this position for kind of embracing what's ahead of him and, and working to get to this point. Yeah, Tinsley and Evans both showed up to this room in January and, and both of them catching touchdowns uh, in week two. And I think Caden Saunders, if you had asked me two weeks ago which freshman has the best chance of burning redshirt, he would have been my pick. I still think he's in that conversation. But I also know that based on what Penn State has done with some of their freshman usage in past years, you'll see some guys get two or three games in non-conference play and you'll start to get ahead of yourself and say, well, he's going to be a factor. And then you might not see him again until – one Big Ten game late in the season, or the bowl game. So we'll find out pretty quickly coming out of September who exactly earned that green light. And despite maybe some flashes in September, who's going to be taking a back seat as the Penn State staff gauges what's ahead of them on the depth chart. Um, but but early returns, really good with this freshman class. We've covered that to, to an uh, expansive extent, really going back to, to spring ball. And it's just steadily been more uh, apparent that this freshman class is going to play a huge role. I had my red shirt fresh uh, report up yesterday on Lines 24-7 just to kind of reiterate where things are. 12 true freshmen played last week. Seven true freshmen played against Purdue. All seven of those guys played again against Ohio. And, and those are the kind of the, the, the collection that you're saying, are these the, the, the green light status guys at this stage of the season? Uh, long story short, these freshmen are going to factor in. I think as the season goes on, it's going to be going from more of a luxury, flashy kind of conversation to these guys are important cogs. And without them, if you take one away, they, uh, a, a position room, an offense, a defensive plan could fall apart. I don't know if we're there yet with any of them, but there are a few making their way toward that. And I think by the time we get through October, there'll be a couple other names added to that list. Definitely. I think one guy that came up a lot today, uh, talking to Curtis Jacobs this morning, and I think someone that based on what we heard over the summer and kind of how James Franklin even set some of the expectations uh, at the beginning of the year is Abdul Carter. Um, Curtis Jacobs said that uh, Abdul reminds him a lot of him when he got to, he got to Penn state. Um, you know, highly touted linebackers coming into this program uh, with that history. Um, Curtis said that Abdul Carter asks a lot of questions um, that he's trying to get to the point where the physical tools uh, can match up with the mental side of the game. And then Jacob said that when he figures that out, he's going to be really, really good. Um, he called him a, a freakish athlete, um, you know, a crazy athlete, someone that can do a lot of different things. Um, I think the anecdote that Jacob shared with us was during an agility drill where Abdul Carter was going around the cone, slipped, fell down, but without breaking stride, really crawled and regained himself and then beat uh, who he was going against in the rep to the line. So I think that there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Um, James Franklin said that he was you know, glad to see the extended run that Carter got against Ohio. Um, especially after the the truncated debut against Purdue. Um, so I think he's someone, especially when we get a little bit deeper into this matchup, Auburn's a team that can run the ball. Tank Bigsby is a pretty bruising running back. 
Um, he's someone that could be needed in the box, someone that could wind up as a playmaker Saturday, and then obviously further as we get along. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, James Franklin actually uh, described the Abdul Carter style play with with the phrase violent. I mean, there's a violence involved there. And uh, I don't want to call it reckless, but there is an element of like Jair Brown told me after the game Saturday of I'm not sure that Abdul Carter knows exactly where he's supposed to be, but he's instinctive enough and reactive enough to make the play. And so you start to piece that together and, and, and where he's not so reliant upon those instincts and where he actually has more time to formulate a plan over the course of a, of a play in between whistles. There is a lot to like about his progression at linebacker, and he's another guy that, that seems destined to play a significant role uh, for this team in year one. Uh, let's go back to that Curtis Jacobs call that you were on, though, because he's a guy that – um, probably hasn't been talked in, enough about uh, being a former five-star linebacker. Uh, last year was a generally you didn't have the game record at linebacker, and he was playing a different role, and Brandon Smith didn't take that next step in the will role, a former five-star linebacker himself. And here's Curtis Jacobs, you know, a guy who's, I don't want to say reluctantly, but steadily becoming more of a vocal presence where that's not really something that's innately part of who he is, at, at, you know, as a, as a football player. So that's a progression under Manny Diaz. But what, what stood out from kind of that conversation as he assessed his first two matchups under a new defensive coordinator and linebackers coach? Jacob said that the defense as a whole needs to create a little bit more havoc. Um, that's something that, as James Franklin mentioned it today, in terms of the, the sack battle, um, with Ohio getting home more uh, than Penn State. And we also I think, talked about it uh, yesterday or uh, Saturday with a cornerback currently leads the team in sacks, which we definitely wouldn't have really penciled in. But you know, he, Jacob said that he really likes playing in Manny Diaz's defense and that it sounds like Diaz kind of empowers them where if something goes wrong, if they do mess up, that hey, still get to the ball, still make a play, um, still you know, make something happen. Um, and I think that that's something that, that Jacobs has taken to. Um, I asked him a little bit too about the, the personnel groupings that we've seen, uh, the notable one being that seven defensive back, uh, three down line in formation where Jair Brown comes up um, and plays the basically a mic next to, next to Curtis Jacobs. Uh, Jacobs said that he thinks that that... Um, for that package can be quote deadly um, if they can work out the kinks. Um, I don't know what those kinks are, um, but I think that he has some confidence in that. Um, I think both of us have been really excited to see all of those defensive backs on the field, that group of pass rushers with Beeman, Isaac um, and chop Robinson. 
uh, there's there's a lot of potential there. And it's just been kind of uh, from our perspective, from my perspective, at least just kind of refreshing, exciting to see how these players are being used uh, in these different situations. And I think that's something that Jacobs, because we know the type of athlete that Jacobs is Um, James Franklin, once again, today brought up that he could have been a wide receiver recruit when he was coming out of McDonough down in Owings mills. Um, But so that's the kind of athlete that we're dealing with here with Jacobs. And I think that Diaz is the type of coordinator who can really maximize uh, what he can do. Um, We haven't quite seen that yet. We haven't quite seen the game changing play from Curtis Jacobs yet, but it wouldn't be a surprise if that's something that we see down the road. That package that you discussed, there was, I don't know, six, seven minutes. I was, I was with Jair Brown after that game on Saturday and no question, no topic had him more lit up than that defensive package. And the cool thing about it is just guys sharing the field that we didn't necessarily expect to see together. More so guys that we thought one would swap out for the next, you know, seeing Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy out there along with the, the other cornerbacks on the same play is something that we didn't necessarily know we would get. And you can factor in that by saying Jair Brown and Zaki Wheatley and Jalen Reed on the field at the same time. Uh, again, things that we didn't really know we'd be able to see, and we've already seen them through two games. And I think both of us anticipate Manny Diaz has left much up his sleeve uh, to reveal here in the upcoming weeks as Penn State's defense it starts to get its uh, its feel and starts to create that identity. Good opportunity to do that against Auburn. And let's get into that because they'll be facing likely a couple different quarterbacks. And um, you know, the old adage, when you when you have multiple quarterbacks, you, you may not have one. And I think that applies here, whereas very different circumstances playing out at Penn State with an emerging five star talent and a senior. This was a case where Auburn, you know, they had a transfer pickup. Uh, they, they had a couple of tra- guys. I mean, their, their room is filled with transfers uh, and, and their coaching staff is trying to find the fit. And so far through two games. The results have been a bit lackluster. TJ Finley, the, the, the completion percentage is okay. I think it's 64% uh, percent, uh, in that whereabouts. But three interceptions, one touchdown toss. He's got a rushing touchdown. Um, you got Robbie Ashford, who, who James Franklin mentioned, uh, Penn State previously recruited coming out of high school. You know, he can present some things on, on the ground as a rushing threat. But Bo Nix was not necessarily a very high-quality quarterback. Uh, it was very up and down in his career at Auburn. I think his absence, though, you're starting to see that I don't know if, if Auburn had the response to Bo Nix leaving that they hoped to kind of identify in the following months now that they're actually playing football. Bo Nix was really the the high ceiling, low floor, just the super high variance quarterback. And I think that maybe the hope was to bring up the floor a little bit with, with these transfers coming in with Bo Nix's exit. But I think the ceiling for this quarterback group is a little bit lower. Um, and I don't necessarily know if the floor is that much higher. Um, TJ Finley has been the more traditional uh, quarterback in the Auburn offense. And Robbie Ashford has handled a lot of the the running game. Um, and that's something that, that James Franklin mentions. Um, his, you know, he's got very impressive numbers, uh, high yards per carry, a good change of pace. Um, you know, it's something where you know those linebackers are going to be communicating when Robbie Ashford comes into the game, when when they get a little bit of a different look. But I think it all starts in the backfield when you look at this Auburn offense um, with DJ Finley and Robbie Ashford and then the running backs next to them. Uh, we, we all know I'm really high on Tank Bigsby. Uh, I really, yeah, <laughs> I really liked what Jarquez Hunter did um against Penn State last year uh Derek Tangelo had the big game-changing play chasing him down downfield from behind on the sideline uh, and then Curtis Jacobs went out of his way to mention Damari Alston 
uh, who's a freshman, well-regarded uh, running back down there. And he said that it's, it's not just two running backs, that, that there's three. Um, and that's something that, that Penn State really needs to be prepared for. Um, you know, Jacobs had a, had a great quote about this type of game where he said that you know, players don't come to Penn State to play linebacker and play seven on seven. That this is the this is the type of game that they come to Penn State to play linebacker for, and I think if that's if that provides a window into the attitude of this team, um, I think that that's I like that. That seems like a little bit of an edge, um, and they seem that looks like a bit of a, a quiet confidence uh, from that linebacking group uh, going into Saturday. Now, Bigsby is a guy that I don't know if you ended up backing off this stance, but you initially said that he was the top running back that Penn State would face over the course of the season. I, I made my counter argument for Travion <laughs> Henderson during that. Uh, I don't know how convincing I was, but the fact is Tank Bigsby is a force to be reckoned with at running back, but he's not going to be the Travion Henderson, Nick Singleton type where he's going to go off for a 60-yard scamper on you. This is more of a battle of attrition. And Auburn played that game last year, you know, trying to pick up five, six yards at a time. Um, I think Penn State's goal is to limit that to three or four yards. And, and I know people say, well, three, four-yard runs will get you first down. You'll take four yards per carry from Bigsby in this matchup if you're Penn State. But what made you so high on Bigsby? And, and why do you think – because to me, the only way I see Auburn really taking off offensively is if Bigsby gets rolling in a big way. I just don't think they can lean on their quarterback play to get past this Penn State defense. I mean, in the context of the entire Auburn offense, I don't think Bigsby is necessarily the type of player that can elevate it uh, if it's really struggling. But I go back to that game last year. I wrote it in the the post today that I felt like if Bigsby had a couple more carries, um, you know, he was getting it felt like he was getting four yards, five yards uh, every time he carried the ball. He was doing a good job keeping them on schedule. And he's such a physical back where he's always falling forward. Um, he's always getting that extra yard, that extra two yards. Um, and I think going into this game, it's going to be the first real test uh, for this run defense. I mean, the last time that we saw Penn State go up against the team that liked to run the ball was Arkansas in the bowl game. Uh, and that did not really go well for them. Um, and Arkansas was gunning for that, uh, for the bowl game record for rushing yards. And, they, they didn't let's, get it. let's remember, let's remember Penn State was at a lot of a lot of standout defensive players watching the game at home on TV. Yeah. And that's what I was saying that now we're going to get PJ Mustafer back. It's going to be a real test to see where he is. It's going to be a good test to see Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson, two guys that didn't play in that game. Um, what can they do uh, against the run defense? Uh, we know that Nick Tarburton can be pretty solid. How's Hakeem Beeman going to hold up? Um, what kind of depth? Can Devon Elise, uh, Jordan Vandenberg, Zane Durant, uh, what can they add on a on a hot afternoon where the opposing offense is going to try to wear them down? Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a really really good test uh, for that front seven, um, and that's something I'm I'm really excited to see. How does that interior look? Auburn's had a little upheaval there. Uh, their center Nick Brahms uh, retired before the season started. So Tate Johnson is starting at center, and I think he'd appeared in only one game uh, in his first two years on campus. So that's something to watch, um, especially if he gets matched up with someone like Mustafa. So there's going to be a lot of, I think, storylines to watch in that front four, in that front seven, and it's going to be our our first look at, at the Manny Diaz run defense at Penn State. 
Um, on the perimeter, offensively, Auburn's supposed to get one of their starting receivers back, Malcolm Johnson. He, he missed the last matchup. Uh, has not been a big factor in the stat sheet to this point in his career, uh, but was pegged as a starter and, and, and did fill that role in week one. They're supposed to get him back for this matchup. But the guy that Franklin went to, and I know he's someone you spotlighted in your breakdown of Auburn players to watch, is Javarius Johnson. Um, wide receiver has not been a spot that people look to at Auburn for a long time, though. Definitely. He's, he's on the smaller side, 5'10", 160. Um, he, but he's been big play, a uh, big play threat. I think he had four catches for 117 yards against Mercer, uh, three for 41, I think, uh, against San Jose State. So he's averaging more than 22 yards per catch. Um, and it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, we saw Penn State, you know, for his as big of number that Charlie Jones had uh, for Purdue in the opener, there were really only one or two times that he got loose downfield. Um, it was mostly short slants uh, over the middle crossing routes. Um, that's kind of where Purdue made its living. Um, I don't know if Auburn with someone like Javarius Johnson might try to stretch the field a little bit more. Um, but I think that Penn state has, I mean, they've got the guys uh, on the back end. When you look at the cornerbacks uh, with with Porter, Hardy, King, even Dixon, and then knowing uh, that you're going to have safety help with someone like Keaton Ellis, who's been playing well, Zaki Wheatley, Jalen Reed, Jair Brown. Um, I think that Penn State is very well fortified on the back end to go up against a passing game that has been pretty underwhelming. Um, And I think that they're going to do a good job of forcing this game to take place in the box close to the line of scrimmage. Daniel, I'm going to get into a lot of this with Nathan King from our uh, Auburn side in the 24-7 Sports Network on our next episode. He's going to break down Auburn for us in a big way. But quickly, when you look at this team defensively, and this is where really Auburn can probably hang its hat better, uh, I, I certainly think that's a, that's an easy case to make. Um, who are some of the guys that, that could produce some potential issues for Sean Clifford and company? I think it, it starts up front. Colby Wooden and Derek Hall. Um, I was talking to Nathan uh, about them a little bit uh, earlier today. Derek Hall is kind of the the pure pass rusher. He had seven sacks last year. I think he started the year on, on a couple All-American teams. He was a preseason All-SEC guy. Um, and I think that he's someone that you got to watch. Um, I mean, we've seen the Caden Wallace, Bryce Effner rotation early uh, against Ohio. Um, I think we're pretty confident with what Olu Fashionu can do. Um, I think that this will be a good test for him, but uh, there's a certain level of confidence in Olu going into this one based off of what some of his teammates said today and, and what we've seen from him in a pretty yeah. small sample size. Um, but Daniel, started- can we talk about, can we, can we specify that certain level of confidence? I mean, the feedback we are getting is that he's playing the tackle position at the highest level that that's really taken place in this era of Penn state football with this current coaching staff. And it's a two game sample size. But that is the kind of feedback we're getting right now. Yeah, I think that was that was Sean Clifford today, really, you know, saying that he feels great uh, about Olu watching his blind side, and I think that it you can it's really easy to chalk this up to a small sample size, and this is going to be a really good chance for Olu to get things on tape. But in talking to Phil Troutwine, um, I think earlier this year, he said this just goes back to the bowl game, um, and that Olu has just put a really good base uh, coming into this year based on how he did in the bowl game um, and then how he took that into the spring and really took advantage of the spot because you know Olu was he pretty much had that left tackle spot locked up uh, going into the offseason and you know he wasn't an incumbent starter 
I mean, Juice Scruggs and Caden Wallace both started last year. You kind of wondered, is Penn State going to open this up for competition just for just to see how he responds? You know, maybe competition for the sake of competition. That wouldn't have been a surprise, but, you know, he had that job and, and that's been his. So I think that that you I think there's this goes back a little bit further than the sample size. Obviously, James Franklin had said that Olu was supposed to start in November um, when it seemed like Rashid Walker was a little banged up, but Olu was banged up himself, so that had to be delayed till the bowl game. Um, so I think that you know it's it's easy to be like, well, this is only what he's done since September first. But I think internally he's put together a long enough track record behind the scenes to to earn that confidence. Um, you know, he still has to you know prove it to us uh, on the outside on a weekly basis. But this is a good opportunity for him to do just that. Yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore, and uh, they are so far so very good uh, for for him in that left tackle role. And James Franklin couldn't say enough about him today as well. Um, one other name I, I thought we should definitely get to, and, and he'll be discussed later in the week, was Owen Papo. Uh, this was a guy who early on in his recruiting class was one of the most notarized freshmen um, to that point. I think he was the first uh, prospect to get an offer, uh, get an opportunity to go out to the opening before his sophomore year of high school ball. And here he is now. He's a college veteran. He was a guy that Penn State pushed for. And uh, he actually, you know, reciprocated some of that interest during his recruitment a- ends up at Auburn, of course. Um, but, but to me, he, he's a guy that at that second level, um, you know, you got to be wary about a little bit. Definitely. You, you look at his pedigree uh, as the five star coming out of Georgia um, and, and he battled injuries last year. Um, he had five tackles in the Penn State game, uh, missed a couple games in, in the middle part of the year, came back at the end. Um, I think that he's someone where you kind of you always have it in the back of your mind that even if the, the on paper production hasn't necessarily been there, that, you know, the type of athlete he is, you know, the type of player he is, you know, what he's capable of. Uh, whenever he's out there. And I think that when, when Sean Clifford is back there behind center and he's setting the protections, uh, looking at the defense, I think he's going to go to number zero uh, on Auburn first, uh, then maybe Derek Hall, then maybe Colby Wooden uh, on, on the defensive line. So um, there's some there's some talent back there on this defense. Um, it's going to, I mean, they haven't really played any you know, quote unquote prolific offenses. So it will be interesting to see how the, the scheme overall holds up against what Penn State has. Um, but there are some there are some good players that you kind of have to you'll just have to identify before every snap, keep an eye on, see what they can do. I encourage our listeners to check out on a weekly basis Daniel's review of the top players to watch on the opposing team. Uh, this one for Auburn was up on Tuesday. Uh, and Daniel, it's time to finish up with our five-star mailbag, and it's a question we've been wanting to get to for the last couple episodes. We've gone a little bit long on time, so it hasn't managed to see the light of day just yet. But considering Penn State is 2-0, this question still works. If Penn State makes a surprise push for the college football playoff, what would be the number one thing that went right this season to make that happen? And I will let you take the first stab at this one. I, I wrote down two things uh, for this. And, and one is obvious that Sean Clifford is an elite quarterback. Uh, it's really hard to win the college football playoff. It's really hard to get to the college football playoff without that elite quarterback play. Uh, Georgia last year might be the exception, even though early this year, there's been really positive returns on Stetson Bennett. Um, he might be a little bit more than he was given credit for. Um, but I think if Sean Clifford were to make that leap, um, if he were to be the, you know, the, the Kenny Pickett of this year, guy who comes back, figures it out, 
uh, late in his career. Um, I think that would have to be uh, the number one thing that went right to get elite play out of that quarterback spot. Um, I think that's that's where you have to start, and I think that's that's the most obvious place to start too. You're not wrong, but I'm just gonna, I'm going to push back against it a little bit because I think based on 35 starts of Sean Clifford's career, <laughs> I think it's hard it's hard to bank on him being an elite quarterback, and and that being the answer to this question for me, um, he can be a very good quarterback at times. But uh, in terms of a guy who's going to carry you to the college football playoff, I don't see that. One thing that Clifford has lacked in his offense in recent years is a true balance, and every strong quarterback typically will have that balance in their offensive attack. And I can't imagine internally how he felt seeing Nick Singleton take three carries 40 plus yards and becoming the first Penn state running back to do that in 20 years, because this has been so sorely missed to me. It, it, it goes to the running game and it's not just Penn state produces a bunch uh, the occasional 60 yard run from Nick Singleton. It's got to be sustained success on the ground. This is going to be a huge litmus test in, in week three on the road at Auburn. But to me, there's no way that Penn State maintains their role in some kind of college football playoff conversation through the month of October if they aren't in a situation where they can routinely establish themselves as an offense that can run the football with effectiveness. Now, that doesn't mean you need a bunch of world beaters on offensive line. doesn't mean you all of a sudden need to have four all Big Ten players on your offensive front, but the combination of, of accountable offensive line play uh, and at times dominant against the right opponent, but you got to be accountable against the best defenses you're going to face against the, the top edge rushers against all that. They weren't last year. And out of that running back room, just, you, you got budding confidence right now that if, if there's room to maneuver, some of these guys are going to find it, seize it and, and take it upon themselves to, to help take this Penn state offense to a different level. The two freshmen stand out uh, the way things worked last week. It's, Hard to take your eyes off those two, specifically number 10 in that backfield. So for me, it's more about the balance. And that means right now that Penn State takes the momentum from last week and turns it forward and carries it forward and they can run the ball because I just don't think you can say, well, Sean Clifford, go win us uh, 11 football games, 12 football games. Um, I think he can win you a few. And and uh, he, he probably won that Purdue game because how he finished it after he almost lost it for you. But – uh, to me, it's more about him being able to to turn the turn around, hand the ball off, and for something good to happen, not for him to, to go to the next play and it be a second and nine situation. If that yards per carry for the the running back room goes from the three point two it was last year to even four point five, you know that's it's not spectacular, but it would be something. It would be an improvement. It would be something else for for defenses to watch and something else that that Sean Clifford could lean on. So I think that that. That is something to really watch. Um, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm not expecting necessarily expecting Sean Clifford uh, to take that leap, but if he can, if he can clean things up, um, avoid that Purdue throw, avoid the th- the mistakes that we've come accustomed to, I think that buys Penn State one or two wins. And if this team does have that, you know, nine win ceiling, a lot of people pick them to go nine and three coming into this year with knowing what Sean Clifford is, but if that quarterback position can raise the ceiling a little bit, avoid those game-breaking mistakes, that 9 can turn into a 10, maybe even an 11, and then you're having a, a, a different type of conversation right there. Speaking of different types of conversations, speaking of Clifford, even if this team keeps winning, you have to wonder if his snap count doesn't go down uh, and, and, and over the course of this year. And maybe it's less about Sean Clifford and more about Sean Clifford, Andrew Aller, uh, 
We don't know. We don't know. And I didn't think we'd be in a spot two weeks in where there was this much evidence of what Drew Aller can be and what he already is. So it's kind of, you know, reconfigured our conversation around Sean Clifford about this offense. There's 10 more games to go. And if they're already working Drew Aller in like this, and if they plan to do so moving forward, just wonder how tempting that might be for the Penn State staff, regardless of the play that you're getting out of Sean Clifford over the course of the season. I'll throw in one more thing because we didn't show any love to the defense and, and being <laughs> part of this college football playoff push. I think it's going to be really important to see them really get uh, into a, 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 a spot where they can dial up that pass rush and, and effectively get after the quarterback. You don't need to get six, seven sacks every game, but you got to be disruptive. Uh, you've got to add those sacks for the quarterback hurries. You want to, to, to see that opposing quarterback harried uh, and, and forcing the ball downfield and making mistakes against a really talented bunch of defensive backs. And uh, I think there's a lot to be to, uh, a lot to gain from an improved pass rush for any defense, but this one in particular, I think, because of what you're going to get on the back end all year long. If this is a part of Manny Diaz's approach that you know three, four games down the line they've got ironed out, and you're seeing that effective nature. By the time you're playing in Ohio State and Minnesota, where it's going to be really important, that could really be at the crux of whether or not they come out of a matchup like that with the W. That was my my second uh, point that I'd written down for this. Uh, after the court, after improved quarterback play, if the defense can get after the quarterback, if the defense can can force turnovers. I think that can go a long way um, towards Penn State, raising that ceiling, being in a conversation. Yeah, two names that I think are big there, and, and, and we'd already seen Chop Robinson, but Adiza Isaac, as he continues to, to recover, he told you he was at 85% in that recovery from the torn Achilles. I know you're working on something about him this week. And then denied Dennis Sutton. Still waiting on the flash from the five-star, but he's getting his feet underneath him. So I think that gives you, uh, you know, kind of cause to, to wonder what he will look like and how he could flash a bit um, five, six weeks down the road uh, as that pass rush does come together. Daniel, we covered a lot of ground for our second episode this week. Uh, Going to come back on Thursday, break down the Auburn Tigers with Nathan King from 24-7 Sports Auburn site. Daniel will be back. I think we'll have Mark Brennan back as well to give you our preview and predictions for Penn State versus Auburn. Set the stage for that matchup. And we're going to step aside, though, for now. Thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. Thanks to Daniel Gallon. A bunch of coverage up on lines247.com. We still got a ton of recruiting intel coming out of the weekend. And plus, Brian Doan just cast a couple of crystal ball picks I saw as we were sitting down to record here. So things aren't stopping. Moving in a fast, fast pace at lines247.com. We hope you've joined us over there. Uh, for now, thank you for tuning in to the Lines 24-7 podcast. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.